I found a lot of things that I do in my classroom pre-virtual learning have carried over really well. I think that's because my style of teaching has always been discovery and student-centered. So when you're looking at a classroom that's not teacher-centered, it is a really easy move into the digital world. After a year of teaching in a virtual space and with increasing amounts of devices getting into the hands of students, teachers are able to design more and more interactive and authentic digital learning activities. Knowing where to start, though, in moving from a traditional paper and pencil environment can be challenging. In this episode, we talk about the how and why of creating learning activities that leverages technology for increased engagement and student learning. I'm Katie Haywood, a digital learning coordinator for the Western area. And I am Chris Zirkel, a digital learning coordinator for the Southern and Southeastern areas. Welcome to Digital Learning, hosted by the Wake County Public School System, where inspiring educators provide insight into their experiences with digital learning. You can follow us on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, and Google. To access our show notes, visit us at dlc.wcpss.net. There you will find the contact information for your area digital learning coordinator who you can contact for help and support with digital learning. You will also find our monthly newsletter, our podcast episodes, our lunch and learn sessions, and other valuable resources. Hi, I'm Bethany Wilcox. I have taught at Leeds Road Middle School for seven years now in three different grades and two different subjects. I joke that at the end of every year, I tell my principal to put me wherever she needs to, and she's definitely taken me up on that. Um, this past year, I was a top 10 finalist for the Teacher of the Year in Wake County Public School Systems. Um, I love teaching social studies, and I'm excited to share what I've changed this year in quarantine. This episode focuses on converting traditional paper and pencil activities into digital ones. A lot of times, people might wonder why they should consider converting. Before we answer that, we definitely want to make sure we highlight that we're not advocating tech for tech's sake. There are many examples of activities and tasks that benefit from no or low tech solutions. We definitely don't want teachers to use a tech tool simply because it's new or flashy or because it exists. Absolutely. It always comes back to the standards and the goal of the lesson and that kind of that reflection before you even start of what tool am I using? Why am I using that tool? Do I need to use a tool? Um, and, and Bethany speaks to that. So when I'm looking at my old lessons that I taught pre-virtual learning, I always look at how engaging they were for the students. And if I know that they're super engaging and the kids have traditionally really liked them, I then immediately ask myself, how can I take this activity and move it into the virtual world? Um, and until this point, I've been able to find a way. Sometimes those projects then look very different and have to be modified, but it has been doable. So at a lot of my lessons did convert quite easily. We went from things like having web quests that were partnered with worksheets to now having web quests that are partnered with Google Forms. Um, and so I think for us, the main question is what can be converted? and what should be converted. Um, there's a lot that we've left in the past, things like text that would be printed and passed out, we've left. There are other formats to practice reading and um, analyzing documents that we can do online and virtually. So one of the probably most important frameworks that teachers want to be aware of when it 
comes to considering technology is the TPAC framework. And that framework pulls in three pieces. So you think about your, tri your typical um, triple Venn diagram, right? The first piece of the TPAC framework is the pedagogy, pedagogy knowledge. Um, and that's where a teacher really brings in their training and their knowledge of how kids learn and what learning st strategies and um, methods work well for different components. So for instance, um, is something uh, better with collaboration? Or is it better with um, a reflective writing piece or a reflective video piece? So that's where that pedagogy knowledge comes in. The next piece is um, the content knowledge. And this is where, of course, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's the teacher's knowledge of the subject matter they're teaching. And then the last piece is the technology knowledge. And teachers knowing what tools can be used for different purposes. So when we bring all three of those together, We've got the teacher knowing their content, the pedagogical strategy to, to, you, to teach that, and what technology tools they might be able to use to implement that pedagogy. Let's say, um, let's say a teacher is going to teach a lesson on, um, you know, maybe they're a middle school science teacher and they're going to teach on cells and the parts of cells or something, right? And they're, you know, we, they always, we always want to start with our objectives and our standards. And so maybe the... Um, the, the, the lesson and the goals are to, for students to describe the anatomy of the cell, the different pieces, and how each piece works as a system, right? So typically, maybe um, the teacher would do a presentation or a lecture teaching about the different cell, cell's anatomy and the basic functions of each one. Uh, then they might break the class into groups, and each group labels a diagram of the pieces and learns about one process within the cell, and then each group presents to the class, right? That's maybe a very traditional way of teaching that lesson. But now, if we go through the TPAC framework and think about how can we use that to, um, to kind of enhance that lesson, maybe uh, the teacher takes their content knowledge, which is that knowledge about the cell pieces and the processes, and then they break the kids into groups um, and they have a digital uh, drawing, like a Google drawing with a picture of a cell, and the kids digitally label those pieces. So now we've kind of brought in that, um, that technology piece, but also that pedagog pedagogy piece of this is very surface level information, so I'm just going to have them, you know, label the diagram. And we've got those three pieces there. And then maybe they take it to the next step and they want the kids to learn about a process within the cell, but they want to share that. And so maybe now they take um, Flipgrid and have the kids do a video response about one of the processes in the cell. And now they're building on that next piece of um, pedagogy where they have to teach somebody else, but they're pulling in that technology of doing it through video. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think that is a good fit for digital learning coordinators to be able to be paired with a teacher. So if a teacher wants some support in that area of technology knowledge, we can work with teachers uh, to help grow their capacity and build their capacity in that specific area. Each of the TPAC components provides a critical leg of practice. When looking at the tech piece specifically, there are additional considerations when deciding which tech tool to use. 
Students are one of the biggest considerations when making that decision. While these students are incredibly tech savvy, I've discovered that they're not always the most persistent. So when I'm choosing a tool for digital activity, my first thought is how user-friendly is it? And how easily are they going to be able to access this source and this tool? And how challenging is it going to be? Um, if students are going to have to click multiple times, they're just not going to. If the instructions aren't right there, they're not going to read through them, they're not going to move through it. Um, I also question, is there something that I've already used with my students that could do the same job? Um, so if, if I have a new resource but it does the same thing, I don't see the point of changing it. Um, and then my last question to myself is always, does it enhance or challenge their learning? Um, if there's going to be something that's going to be a barrier to the objective of the class, I try not to include it versus if it's something that's just going to boost their learning and understanding of the material, I'm always going to lean into that tool. So the other challenge would be just the student skill and perseverance to learn new things. Some students are very tech savvy and can learn things very quickly and feel very confident. And then other students need to be reminded again. Um, and just need that additional support of, it's okay, this is how you click here, this is what a hyperlink looks like. Um, but again, I think there are ways to combat that, but it's definitely a challenge in designing these. So, you know, we've talked about using technology, and um, I think a lot of people are on board with that, but one thing that, you know, some people might not realize is there are just so many just straight up logistical and basic benefits to using digital tools. Spot on. Every single teacher knows how precious time is. There are a variety of tasks technology can accomplish that will help teachers save time and even be more efficient with the time they do use. Um, one of the biggest things I think for me that has a, that is different virtually in order to enhance a basic paper and pencil activity would be the fact that I can format things in such a more learner-centered way. Um, I think every teacher knows the struggle of taking any activity and trying to squash it down into a print two per page, front to back, all black and white, so that we can not worry about copies and whether or not we're going over on our copy numbers. And all of a sudden, that's been taken away from me. Um, so if you think about a traditional paper and pencil activity in a social studies classroom, which will be a primary source document, maybe a map that you're looking at, and then questions in a worksheet format. All of a sudden, I'm able to um, electronically give them a color copy of that map, and then I can color code questions. I can format the document so that it's more legible. I don't have to worry about spacing as much anymore. Um, and that's allowed for student learning, um, I think, to increase because there's no more burden and barrier between looking at a challenging paper pencil activity. Um, I also just think from like a super practical level, man, it makes grading and offering feedback on assessments so easy. I don't think I will ever give another vocab quiz or unit test again because of the data that it sends me after every single assignment is amazing. I Today, I gave a test to my students. One of my students decided that he wanted to rush. He finished a 25-question test in four minutes. I was able to send out a talking point to his parent to say, hey, just a heads up, he finished his test in four minutes. I think he should go back and look at it again. And he brought his grade up 20 points. And having that data 
immediately that I was then able to go back to parents and say, hey, look at this growth was so beneficial. And that's something that there's no way I would have been able to grade that paper and pencil that quickly, looked at that data, scored that data, and then reflected on it. Um, so I think I think the digital assessments are a huge benefit to me as a teacher. Gosh, I love digital activities. I think there's so much there. Um, one of the big ones for me is that it offers more choices to students, but it also offers really easy modifications in a discrete way. Um, my students have no idea if they're being assigned the same reading as their peers. And so if I need to change the Lexile level on an assignment, there's no way for them to tell. Versus if they're sitting next to someone in class and they look over and they say, oh, you've only got a one pager, but mine is front and back. How come that's not fair? Um, so digitally, that, that's totally taken away. There's also a difference between if I assign my students going to look at history.com because maybe they're really skilled in social studies and they can handle that higher level reading versus maybe I'm sending another student to junior scholastic for the same concept. Um, so I really love digital activities because they're allowing modifications in a way that students aren't aware of. Um, we're also able to do things like the read aloud options that are accessible on worksheets or on quizzes and tests is amazing. Um, there is never a reading or a quiz or test that I give to my students where I haven't also already recorded myself reading the text to them, despite that they're in seventh grade, so that my students with read aloud accommodations are able to have that assistance. And what I've noticed is that even my students who don't need those accommodations are often quick to listen, and they'll specifically say things like, I didn't know how to say that word, and now I do. In addition to a lot of logistical benefits, there's actually some really deep benefits as well when we start to think about student communication and providing uh, almost like a safe space for students to communicate. Um, you know, by having digital communication tools such as private comments in Google Classroom or the chat feature in Google Meet, you know, we open up these other avenues for kids to communicate not only with each other, but with their teacher. You know, that can help with students that have legitimate and validated reasons for not wanting to maybe share out loud in front of a whole group setting, and they can definitely feel more comfortable using technology to communicate with their teacher, and you can actually have an increase in participation from students because you're offering those formats. And I think, too, one thing that, you know, sometimes people might question and be like, well, you know, they have to learn some point how to communicate. You know, they have to be able to, to talk to people. And, you know, sure, yeah, maybe as they get comfortable, they can develop those skills. But what's nice is that these avenues, these other options for kids, you know, not every student has to take advantage of them. It can be those kids that need that little extra support to build their confidence, to, uh, to be able to share. And so, you know, I think about good design. When we think about accessibility, good design builds that accessibility right in so that it doesn't make it something separate. You know what I mean? And that's where I see a lot of these digital uh, communication tools being is it's built in so that anybody can use it. It's not obvious for those that might need to use it. Yeah, and to your point about social communication, I think that we're talking about a different language here. We're talking about academics. And someone may be a social butterfly and be, you know, really responsive and participating in a lot of social activities but when it comes to that academic piece 
there may be some reasons why they would rather have more of a you know private or limited conversation with a limited number of people academically versus in other areas of their life. Um, they're very quick to say, oh, just copy and paste it in the chat so I don't have to listen or, oh, let's open up a chat box really quick on a Word document and you'll you'll see um, or I'll, I'll have situations where I'll be added to a Word document and won't know what it is. I'll open it up and it just ends up being a transcript of their almost texting back and forth about a project or an assignment, which is really exciting to see that they're taking that initiative. There are a lot of students who can be really intimidated about answering questions in a live classroom. Um, it can be really intimidating to raise your hand. It can be really scary to get cold called on by a teacher. And having a chat box function is a really safe space for students to respond. Um, but also having things like private comments on Google Classroom. I've seen high engagement from some of my students that um, when they're in the building will barely say a word to me. But all I have to do is send them a private message on Google Classroom and say, hey, how's it going? Are you confused? And all of a sudden, we're getting multi-level conversations and multi-message um, transcripts between the two of us because talking to a teacher through Google Classroom or through our messaging software is a safer place for them than having to approach a teacher in person. I think, like you said, the idea that having private communication allows for students to build confidence is such a huge thing. I We just finished a project on World War II where students follow the story of a survivor or a victim of the Holocaust. And we were able to follow that up with a Holocaust speaker joining our class virtually and sharing their story. And one of my students who, I swear, he's he hasn't done any of his work all year almost, decided that he was going to attend this meeting and he listened to the story. And he sent me a private message, a paragraph, just saying like, that was amazing. I can't believe you did that. I'm going to go back and do my project. I'm so excited. And he did. And he he then double messaged me saying, hey, I just finished my project. Can you grade it? Can, can you update my, my grade in power school? He then triple messaged me and was like, just so you know, I told my mom all about this. Um, and when I finally kind of came back to school the next day and saw all those messages, I was able to say, okay, I don't think this is a student that would have the confidence to gush about a project in the classroom to a teacher's face. Um, he's way too cool for that. And to admit that was just, it would not give him any credit, but being able to message me privately gave him that safe space just to say like, I really, really enjoyed this and I'm glad we did it. So um, he did finally follow up the conversation that we had with you should make all of your lessons like this, which I love the the feedback and the criticism, but um, it was really good to see him engaged in that way. I think having it did digitally gave him the ability and the tools to be successful in the project. So typically it was a written project that pre-COVID he would have been required to write with a pencil on paper. And sometimes students are really conscientious of their spelling errors and their grammar and not knowing how to be successful when offering reflections. But because I gave him permission to write it digitally, he was allowed to use GIFs to express himself. He was allowed to use stickers. Um, he was really able to flourish in that because he knew that this was something he could be successful in. And um, I think giving him that boost and, and meeting him 
with resources that he understood and that he's confident in um, was a huge part of him even completing the project at all. There are so many examples of tasks and activities that students can complete digitally that really amplify the engagement in learning. Yeah, one of my really favorite things to consider is how do we take those very basic protocols or instructional strategies that we use all the time in the classroom, you know, turn and talk or um, gallery walk, things like that, those really basic strategies, and how can we turn them digital? Um, we've got in our show notes some examples of some of those basic strategies and templates that teachers can use uh, to use them in a digital environment or even in person, just adding a little bit of uh technology to it. Yeah, and Bethany shared a variety of the digital tasks she incorporated into her classroom, and that's just a small tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I actually, my my PLT and I do a really good job. Um, even on asynchronous days, we'll take turns recording ourselves explaining the assignment and then posting it. And some students won't use that resource and will just read the instructions and work alone and can get it done, but then other students do benefit from being able to see a teacher model the expectations and run through the assignments and open up all of the links. And having that ability to talk to them even though I'm not actively present has been really helpful. And I'm not going to lie, it's not ideal because sometimes the students will skip the instructional video and just ask me the question, but I'm able to say, when they ask me those questions, I'm able to say, hey, did you watch the instructional video? So instead of me having to repeat my instructions, what feels like a hundred times, I'm able to point them to one resource that I've already put time into, and every time they'll come back and be like, no, I'll do it right now, then I'll get a second notification being like, oh, I know what to do now, um, because they took the time to do that and they just needed that prompting, which I'm a huge fan of, and yes, I support teacher filming themselves for everything. Or my students are regularly accustomed to doing three breakout rooms in one class period. And each of those breakout rooms would have a different role. For example, the first breakout room, they would be studying a specific explorer. In the second breakout room, they would be sharing out their explorers so everyone can gain all of the notes. And the third group, they would then be comparing one or more explorers. And so jigsaw grouping has been amazing digitally because it's such an easy way to give the students their support of their peers, but then also constantly mixing it up. Um, I also love choice boards in a digital platform, giving students options, even things from huge project grades and saying you can create a video blog or you can create a news recording or you can create a slideshow has just been really accessible to even things like recently we just studied the Holocaust and I said here are four survivors you can choose whose story you want to listen to. And what I love about that is it gives the students the choice so they're engaged and they're willing to choose. But then also I hear stories of students who have really struggled with engagement to say, I chose this person and it was so exciting and so interesting that I went back and listened to the other three too. And so that's been really exciting to see. Um, I think things like discussion boards are a really easy process to carry into digital because you can have them commenting to each other. You can have Flipgrid, which allows them to video chat with each other um, and offers that discussion. Any sorts or timelines or manipulatives that I've ever done with my students are so great to switch over um, into digital because I create just a PowerPoint 
And on the master slide, I create everything that they're not allowed to move. And then on the slide that they're able to move, I will create text boxes that they then just drag and drop. Um, and so we just did um, World War II. So we did the three different dictators of World War II, and they just had to drag and drop images. Um, and at this point in the year, it takes my students about five minutes to complete a sort because we've been doing them since the beginning of school. Um, we've done it for, I think, every unit we have at least two sorts, which is, again, a great way for them to interact with each other because they're normally in groups when they do it. But it's also a quick way for them to refer back to their notes. So in addition to the ideas that Bethany mentioned just now, we wanted to highlight a really specific example she implemented in her class that I think just really speaks to the power of strategically integrating technology. Um, a lot of teachers have used Reader's Theater, right, as a strategy, and that was something that Bethany has used in the past. But she, the way she implemented it just really, I think, took it to the next level for the kids and just really she was able to get so much out of it um, with her students. And then even this was my, I think this was my, my biggest assignment that I did digitally that I was so excited about. Um, we did a reader's theater where students traditionally before virtual learning, students get their script and they have 10 minutes to practice it. Then they practice in their scene groups and then they all come together. Well, I decided, okay, how are we going to do this virtually? And so what I did was I broke up the scenes. I highlighted their lines. I gave them a PDF of their lines. They had to record it. And then I stitched all of those videos together. And it created an amazing performance of all of my students recreating the Russian Revolution in a way that then when I asked them to re-watch it and take notes, they were very interested because they were seeing their classmates. And that's something that I think we, I didn't originally anticipate being able to switch dig digitally because I knew that none of my middle schoolers would perform live, but giving them the opportunity to pre-record it was super beneficial and it really worked well in the digital environment. If you are looking to do a video project where you have various video clips you need to put together, maybe add a title, maybe even some music, we have access to the Adobe Creative Cloud. We log in with our Google account, our Wake County credentials, and there you can download a variety of Adobe applications. One of those is Adobe Premiere Clip. One of those is Adobe Premiere Pro, and we also have Adobe Premiere Rush. We'll put links to the show notes on how to install those. I'll put a link to some tutorials on how to use Adobe Premiere Rush, which is a kind of a drag and drop video editor, very much like iMovie. It might be a little daunting to kind of start thinking about how to convert and create these digital activities. But, you know, at the end of the day, you'll start to get better at it. And even if you start small and try one thing out at a time, I think we've, we've suggested that advice before, you know, start small, pick one thing to try, um, because you'll start to see just how well the kids respond, and that will be its own reward in and of itself. Um, there's also just so much material out there in the world, like which images do I use, which videos am I showing the students, which reading and text am I converting, and I think just having to narrow down my focus into what's the objective, and then which one will benefit the best. 
So, you know, at the end of every episode, we like to highlight the digital learning standards for students that uh, go along with the topic of our episode. And we've kind of got a couple of different ones today. When we think about creating digital activities and digital, uh, you know, instructional tasks for students, um, we're really working towards that knowledge constructor. We're really helping them start to use technology to build their knowledge um, to to locate information, to curate information, and when we when we make it authentic with technology, then they're really exploring those real world world issues. And in addition, we talked a little bit as well about students using technology to create to communicate, and that goes straight to the creative communicator uh, standard. Um, you know, it says right out that students choose the appropriate platforms and tools for meeting the desired objectives of their communication. And so if kids have a variety of opportunities, whether it's in person, in chat, uh, through private comments or whatever uh, platform or avenue they use, you know, they're, they're working on those creative communicator skills. And I like your reference to TPAC and we talked about the area of technology content and if that's an area that you'd like to beef up and to strengthen and enhance and become more um, advanced at using technology in the lens of bringing it into instructional practices for the benefit of enhancing and enriching your curriculum, then feel free to reach out to a digital learning coordinator or if you'd like some help with digitizing your text and converting it into various formats and so forth, then uh, feel free to reach out to us at dlc.wcpss.net. Thanks for listening to Wake County Digital Learning. Feel free to share our show, visit our website, and stay tuned.